Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Trials with Maya Z, brought to you by TrialHub, a data intelligence platform that helps clinical research organizations and sponsors plan clinical trials. This podcast is about how we can make clinical trials more successful and patient-friendly. I am your host, Maya Z, and in every episode, I will be interviewing a leading expert from various industries in order to discuss some of the major challenges and brainstorm how we can solve them. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Charles with Maya Z. This is your host, Maya, speaking here, and I have a very interesting guest, a friend of mine, actually, David Rosenbaum. He's here with us today to share an incredible story and very powerful message that can help us improve our decision-making and way of thinking about clinical trials and are these clinical trials actually inclusive. We will speak about immigrants in clinical trials. David is the founder of Rosenbaum Group, a clinical research organization with experience throughout Europe by conducting clinical trials throughout Europe and main focus on the Southeastern Balkans. David, welcome. And yeah, please... Give us a little bit more background about yourself and yeah, what you do today. Thank you, Maya. Thank you for having the chance of talking to you and discussing the issue today. So as you said, we are friends and have been also previously working with you. And yes, since 2019, I started to conduct things in my own way. And this led to creation of our own CRO. Mainly at the moment, we are subcontractors for bigger CROs and we are focusing, as you mentioned, to Southeastern Balkans and Turkey. So our prime countries of operations are Albania, Greece and Turkey. And sporadically, we also support Slovakia, Czech Republic and Germany. So, yeah, as you mentioned today, we will have a very interesting topic to discuss. Yes, indeed. So last time we spoke, David, you actually told me a story that surprised me completely. And I've been working in the clinical research space for many years, but this is something that I never came across. And I was very eager on bringing the attention of my audience to this topic. And again, it's about immigrants uh, in clinical trials. So David, you told me about this story where you tried, you're fighting actually, for allowing immigrants that are eligible for a certain clinical trial to be part of the clinical trial, but you're fighting, like fight is a very good word. So why don't you first start in telling us the story? So yes, this is a topic that has to have a broader audience in my opinion. So the whole situation Mm. or the whole focus is falling on Turkey. As you may be aware, Turkey is a country of 70 million inhabitants and there are a lot of minorities, but also a lot of communities who are not of the Turkish descent. Yes, so there are people who are long-term working in Turkey and this brings us a huge diversity in the patient pool. And a couple of our investigators had the idea to enroll patients who are not Turkish. Okay, so for example, in Turkey, you have a large minority of people from Iraq, Syria, but there are also seasonal workers, for example, from Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan. There are also uh, a lot of English-speaking people living in Turkey, people from Libya. So it is really a beautiful mix. 
And this also gives an opportunity to have a good patient mix when it comes to the data collection. However, when we tried to consider this patient population to be included in the study, based on the suggestions from our investigators, we have performed mm -hmm. an initial request to the authorities, so to the TMMDA, the Turkish Medicine and Medical Device Agency, and also to the Central Ethics Committees. Whereas the feedback that we have received is that these patients are considered as a vulnerable group, and unless they do not have a document that is confirming them as a citizenship, as a Turkish citizenship, this patient cannot be included in the clinical trial. So we couldn't accept that in the way as it was. And we started making a uh, mm. clarification request to the authorities because the, the first feedback that we received was just simply, no, this is not possible. But when you are reading between the lines, actually there are some small hints which make this process possible to enroll the foreign nationals, but the whole process is extremely, extremely difficult. For some sponsors, this may not be valuable yeah, because it's a time consuming and also the, the enrollment timelines are mm -hmm. to be considered for every clinical trial. However, if you have a clinical trial where you have difficulty to enroll patients, whether it is due to the study design or whether it is due to the inclusion exclusion criteria or because of the rarity of the disease, then you should also consider mm. every possible patient which is enrolled. And furthermore, if patient who is of a different origin lives in a certain country and cannot be allowed to participate in a clinical trial that he thinks he may depend the patient may benefit from it in my opinion it's not very ethical even though the patient may be considered as a vulnerable as the authorities referred to us in the response but it's just a simple example i am living in istanbul in turkey long term if i'm gonna have some disease and there is a treatment that can help me in turkey I want to take a part in it. Or I remember also other patients inquiring from Bulgaria to participate in clinical trials in Turkey. Many times, this is mm. quite a big interest. And for this reason, you know, if there is this treatment available, I see a little bit illogic why to prevent those patients to benefit from the treatment. So right now we are having this discussion with the authorities and they provided us with instruction what additional documents has to be provided in order to uh, officially be able to enroll these patients into the study. So now we are <laughs> in the communication with the yeah. authorities. Yeah, you're like, yeah, you're waiting. Help me understand. So they came back with some conclusion and basically they said this community, they're like vulnerable patients and therefore we think that they shouldn't be enrolled in the study. Well, when we speak about vulnerability, did they provide any precise comments? What makes them vulnerable, more vulnerable than other people to, to be enrolled in the study? So the reason number one was the language. So one of the mm -hmm. main reasons was that the patients who are of foreign descent, they do not understand the local language. Therefore, they cannot complete the mm. questionnaires in the local language and uh, cannot communicate with the study team in the local language. 
But again, this is something that is quite different because what we are focusing on are the patients who are living and working in Turkey. So if you are living and working in Turkey, we also have a foreign patient who has a Turkish level of Turkish language, like language certificate. You see, and that's why we cannot simply mm -hmm. accept this kind of claims. Of course, patients who do not speak Turkish, mm -hmm. they cannot be enrolled into the study. But those who fluently speak the language, mm -hmm. because of they have spent a certain time of years living in Turkey, those can be considered a potential patient. Yeah. Besides the language, also the documentation. Yeah. So like residency or work permit, because Turkey has a very, very strict requirements when it comes to a residency and work permit application and the document issue. Mm -hmm. So this is also one of the bottlenecks. Yeah. And one of the requirements mm. that was given to us from the authorities is to have a certain specific uh, approval from the directorate who is managing the migrants. Yes. The directorate of migration. And after discussion with many colleagues from the Turkish industry, they have never had such a request from the authorities. So here you can already yeah. see that the information you are being given every time is completely different and this is also the beauty and the main challenge in turkey the regulations they are constantly changing and many times it is really different mm -hmm. just to follow the guidelines because it's constantly changing and the, the requirements are always updated and that's why it's so challenging to obtain this approval mm. I'm listening to you and I have so many other questions, but the first one that comes to my head is actually, okay, Turkey, but do you know what's the situation in other countries? Is it the same? Let's start with the Balkans, for example. Have you had any experience on the Balkans, similar experience? So on the Balkans, no, but right now, due to the conflict that has occurred in Eastern Europe between mm -hmm. the two neighboring nations, mm -hmm. many of the patients migrated, for example, to UK or to Germany or into the European Union. And uh, mm. the European Union was quite open to have this patient allocate to the sites across the Europe. Okay, so this is definitely a unexpected event. Yes, like a major event that has changed the okay. causes, force majeure force majeure events and the European Union was quite open to make these patients eligible or nice. to make these patients participate in clinical trials across Europe even though the patients yeah. were not from the European Union itself. So I would expect the same mm. approach in terms of Turkey being more open. Yeah, as you said, mm. this situation is occurring. And also what I have observed, there are studies which are enrolling foreign patients without any prior approval of the authorities, mm -hmm. which is not exactly kosher. However, Mm. We in Rosenbank Group, we are really trying to go along and play along with completing all the requirements of the bodies, because it can be a easy mm. win in a short term, but in long term, if you have an audit or something, cannot end up good for the study. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you find this topic relevant, you'll find it helpful to book a demo with our team on trialhub.com. Since 2019, we've supported more than 3,000 clinical trials with country, site, and patient feasibility. 
We'd love to show you how and help you get your trial right from the start. And now, back to my guests. So from what I'm hearing, there is a miscommunication and misalignment between different regulatory bodies. I'm speaking about and different institutions like any committees with the drug association and the immigrants agencies. And they actually have to work together so that they can make it possible for these people to be a part of these clinical trials. And like you mentioned, and I love that you provide a different perspective. Sponsors, they definitely are struggling because they, they have their like, sponsors in both like CROs like you. You're struggling because you have timelines, you have budget, you, you hurry up for meeting your enrollment target. But at the same time, if you don't go the extra mile for these patients, like this old patient centricity that we're speaking about goes, I don't know how, where, because these people at the end of the day, if they are eligible, if they can benefit from this clinical trial, or at least they want to try out, they should have the right. So do you have any recommendations how this communication can be improved? And Turkey, not only. Hmm. So for Turkey, definitely the improvement that can be done is more communication with the CROs in person, or at least via teleconferences, mm. because Turkey, one of the biggest benefits that I, I can say for Turkey is that they are using a electronic portal for the study submissions. So everything nice. is being okay. done electronically. That is very good. The problem is the, the communication with the authorities. It's either via email. And if you send a inquiry via email, they send you usually to the portal submitting a request. So again, it's done electronically. Whereas mm -hmm. in cases like these ones, you really need to meet with somebody and to book an appointment. Also in the TMMDA portal, we tried many times to book the appointment, but just the module is not working and you cannot book the appointment. Mm. And officially mm. they have appointment times only on Tuesdays between 10 to 12. But I mean, it's almost impossible to book an ad hoc meeting with authorities to discuss this. And this is making everything just more complicated. Yeah, complicated. Is it the same with the European portal? Like Because they released a new portal last year. So do you have the experience there, like a similar experience there as well? So regarding the CTIS, since we are now yes. focusing fully yes. as a subcontractor, we don't have a direct access to the CTIS. We don't use it as often. Many mm. sponsors are doing okay. the regulatory activities in through the CTIS by themselves. So usually this mm -hmm. action is being taken either by the main CRO that we are working with or, or the sponsor. But I can tell you from what I have seen and from the uh, minimum acti activities we started, the, the whole implementation of CTIS is much more difficult. Even German regulators, they pushed back and they said, we need to extend the time of submission in the old way. and. Uh, frankly speaking, I do prefer the old way of, of submitting documents than through the CTIS platform because how to say it not to sound rude. Idea is good, but the execution is it's still missing the, the fine tuning. Maybe not as expected. Yes, and this is going to deal with a lot. It's very interesting because last year, maybe same time or a little bit like later in the year, maybe sometime in April, I think. I had a, another podcast episode with Martin, the CEO of LGK Clinical. And he was actually one of the leaders. He's also one of the leaders of the local CRO association, the German one. I think it's the German one, yeah. And we were having exactly a conversation around the CTIS and the fact that 
it's a complicated platform. Like a lot of different companies, different stakeholders had maybe pretty high expectations or maybe their expectations are like reasonable, but they don't definitely don't meet what's been delivered. And that's causing a lot of uh, difficulties in many cases. Do you think that impacts like working through these portals, no matter whether we speak about the CTIS and the Turkish one, for example, does this um, make it a lot more complicated for companies like you? Do you prefer the old fashioned way like codes, like you already mentioned that, but my question is around where is the balance between tech portals and direct communication with the regulatory bodies and the economics? It's a good and tough question. Certainly, if you can do things the old-fashioned way, you will be in your comfort zone because you know the processes and it is good for the speed of the processes, but also with the technology, I very much believe that if the CTIS will be set up properly, then we can speed up the, the whole regulatory process per se in, in terms of the European Union. And this will much help, for example, for the timelines in Romania, because I don't know if you are aware, but for Romanian uh, approvals, yeah. it, it took quite some time. So as a vision for the future, the implementation of the new technologies is necessary and it will be beneficial for everybody. But in a short term plan, it is just problematic and making the things more difficult. Mm. And that's just because it is not properly yeah. set up. And I think that's all I can yeah. say to that. I can imagine. Yeah, I've been working on many uh, projects, software development, governmental, private ones as well. And I know that it's very hard, especially when you work with multiple stakeholders, which brings me to my initial, our initial topic, the immigrants. And generally speaking, patients, what should be their role in these technologies? Should they also be connected somehow to these portals? Like in this case in Turkey that you mentioned, because the Eddie committees provided the voice of these immigrants, but was the voice of the immigrants actually taken into consideration? Interesting question. So in my opinion, for the moment, there is no need for the patients to be involved in these processes. However, the patients should definitely be involved in the patient groups. So groups which are a, a large groups for the patients with the certain diseases and trying to find the way to communicate with the CROs, with the clients in one unified voice. That's something the patients should do and be proactive for the treatment of their disease, whether it is a uh, oncology disease, whether it is a out, other autoimmune disease, uh, this is what the patients should do because if you do not communicate with the clients with the sponsors with the CROs then you cannot be heard some of the organizations in the industry they are open to communication with patients however they are still quite stigmatized not to talk with the patients and i think that this is a very bad approach how can you enroll patients in your trial if you do not speak with the patients it is like i'm going to make a carrot soup but it's not going to be with the carrots right so then what it will be just the water exactly <laughs> yeah that's a very interesting analogy uh, but then going back so the ethic committee's main role 
is to present the patient's voice and to make sure that, okay, not the present the patient's voice, but it's to make sure that they, uh, that the clinical trials are ethical towards patients. They represent the patients. That's their ultimate goal. That's why they exist in the first place. Correct. So if they are like, if they're to have this main role, then wouldn't they be more connected to patients and wouldn't be their job to actually be out there with immigrants? Uh, and actually, in your case, uh, I just wonder, I'm like thinking loud here, um, wouldn't be a good next step to actually connect these interested patients to this authority so they can actually speak even without you being the middleman so that at the end of the day, the ethic community can consider, okay, well, we still think this patient is vulnerable. They're not making the right decision right now because of circumstances, for example. And then you're like, okay, I understand and I commit to what you decided. But maybe they can see that the patient's point of view is different and that can impact their decision making as well. That's a good approach. That's a good approach. And I think if ethics committees could making meetings with the patients, this would be definitely more beneficial in taking their decision because the ethics committee, they are generally deciding on behalf of the patient what is ethical and what is not ethical. But if you look at the, the ethic committee list, for example, many times they are just a group of doctors or lawyers or Pope, yes, which is independent, a different pharmacist, di di different jobs and education levels. But definitely at least two times a year, there it would be a nice initiative for the authorities to organize a specific therapeutic area meetings with the patient, to listen to the patients. And actually, this is what we are trying to do with the patients in Albania to help them be heard. Yeah, that's very, very important. And I'm so happy to see that there are more and more initiatives to empower the, the patient's voice. And I'm using these like buzzwords and I'm even hating myself for that, but actually I can see that this is happening. If more people like you, more companies are out there to support people with diseases, to actually educate themselves how they can communicate properly what they're going through and their needs and their expectations, then hopefully everyone that works in this industry can hear this these insights in a meaningful for them way, and that can impact better our projects and decision-making and everything else. Absolutely. David, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot, and there are so many gaps that I have that I'd love to fill in after this episode, like understanding better the ethic committees and the immigrant situation i definitely would like to dive deeper into the cross-border initiative that the eu started so i think it's not just for clinical trials but it's throughout healthcare basically so that's a lot of things going on uh, but i know we're running out of time so if there is one thing that you think will make patients like clinical trials i'm sorry if, if there's one thing that will make clinical trials more patient friendly what would that be from your perspective so maya you know my background, but maybe I forgot to mention it at the beginning. And this is the key for mm -hmm. the future. I came to the clinical research industry by pure, pure luck. Because uh, when I started, I was 20 years old and I had no university. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I was just speaking Slovak language and English. And I decided to start working as a clinical trial help desk analyst, resetting passwords for metadata rave and other mm -hmm. platforms. But throughout the time, I understood that clinical trials are my passion and I love to do it. 
And this helped me develop a little bit out of the box thinking and a huge critical thinking when it comes to the problem solving. And currently the main, main focus, what the whole industry should focus on is to focus less on the processes and more on the human aspect of the study. Because if you are focusing too much on the processes, you will turn into a bunch of robots and you will not be able to complete the enrollment because you will face the issues and you will not be able to solve them. If you think outside of the box, and if you are trying to put a little bit more human aspect into the study, then the things are happening. Yeah, I that's think that's very powerful, more human focus. Yeah. I mean, we are doing the clinical trials for the patients at the end. True. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. For the patients, for every one of us as well, because we're all patients uh, one day, another day, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and for that, uh, in the past, you told me something also quite insightful. In order to be human-centric, you also need to be flexible because people are flexible as well. Yes. All right, David, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that your story will have a positive resolution anytime soon. I hope that conversation with David will raise some good questions to many people out there and hopefully we'll work towards uh, uh, more simplified processes, more structured, let's say, platforms, but also better communication between all of us. Thank you once again, David. Thank you. Pleasure all mine, Maya. And I'm looking forward to repeat this once we have some positive outcomes. Hope you enjoyed listening to Trials with Maya Z. If you're interested to hear more about how clinical trials can serve patients globally, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Have a great day.